Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers and for anyone who loves stories or anyone who's just interested in stories. You might kind of hate them but still have a morbid fascination, in which case you are welcome. And if you're none of those things, you're welcome as well. This show, I mean, I will warn you, this show will have nothing for you. It really will have nothing for you, but um, you're welcome to sit here and, I guess, rue your life choices. Um, this is going to be a writing ramble episode, which means it's not scripted. I don't know what I'm going to talk about with you, but they're just episodes where they're good ones for popping your earbuds in and doing some chores around the house, maybe doing some washing up, maybe tidying your writing space. You know, do that. Do the stuff that has always been used as procrastination for not writing. Do it now. Tidy your writing space. Make it lovely and welcoming. Sort those things out. I'll chat to you through it so you feel like you're multitasking. Maybe you could go on a little walk. Maybe you could go on a little walk, get some fresh air, boost all that uh, serotonin and, uh, uh, to a lesser extent, dopamine by uh, getting the blood pumping, walking outside, seeing, you know, maybe walking down some roads that you don't normally go down because uh, you you can walk aimlessly because I'm going to be chatting to you and be telling you stuff and hopefully some of it will be useful. We can, we can do, you can do something now together. If, if you just want to play video games while you're listening to this, if you just want to, um, uh, uh, lie on your back and uh, give yourself some much-needed rest. Don't feel that I am saying that that is verboten. You are absolutely welcome to do that as well. Um, I couldn't stop you, even if even if I wanted to, even if I did preclude some things. I could try and sort of project a, a incohate sense of shame towards you, but um, I, I, I can't. I'm not going to uh, rappel through your uh, skylight and um, uh, smack the... Uh, smack the iPod or mobile phone out of your hand. You'll be pleased to know. But this is a uh, unscripted episode, so if these kind of ones aren't your thing, then, uh, you know, be warned that it's going to be discursive. I'll try and, uh, I always try and, like, uh, allow it to coalesce loosely around some theme and make it about writing and make it about what I'm, what's going on in my life and some stuff that's occurred to me. Um, but these things are, by their very nature, uh, unedited, you know, normally we sort of, uh, we try and upsell that as raw. Uh, you know, it's an insight into the writer's psyche. This is, is it unfiltered. Of course, if there was anything genuinely uh, shocking in this episode, if there was anything uh, genuinely exposing, then I would just not put it out, would I? There's, it's unlikely that I'm I'm going to say say anything that's going to be uh, make me so vulnerable as to be career ending because I just would, if you're listening to this now, then let's be honest, probably quite tame content. It's probably just meandering, but uh, in any case, I am going to be uh, exploiting the uh, the radical format of being uh, <laughs> one white bloke chatting into a microphone. His opinions. Uh, I the podcasting world watches with anticipation. No, but of course it'll be about writing. I'll try and get something interesting in here for you. So, uh, one of the things, um, as you can probably hear, I'm wearing spectacles uh, as I record this, and tomorrow morning I'm going in at nine a.m. to have my eyes lasered. And I, 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 having your eyes lasered sounds sort of uh, nerve-wracking enough, but I'm reliably informed my eyes are going to be also have a scalpel stuck in them um, and a flap lifted up. Sorry, I, it's not all going to be about eye surgery. I realise that's you know this is quite quite an intense way to start the episode. And um, look, I was going to do a uh, first page feedback episode. I am going to record one later this week. It's just I had a had a very full on weekend and I forgot all my gear and my clothes and my psychiatric medication um, when I went away uh, on Thursday. And um, so I didn't get to uh, record that, but that is coming up. I just wanted to record one of these because they're um, 
easy and fun and they made me happy to do. Anyway, I'm having eye surgery tomorrow morning. So this is the last episode I'm going to be wearing uh, glasses for, which, you know, glasses, spectacles aren't, you know, obviously aren't a huge thing, but I have been wearing glasses since I was four. They are a fairly fundamental part of my identity, especially sort of as someone uh, right in the thick of nerd culture uh, growing up, and they've affected how people react to me. They've affected how I flinch away from footballs. Um, they've affected my ability to be accepted into uh, programming clubs, <laughs> writing programs for the BBC Micro. Look, they're not responsible for that. But I'm getting rid of them tomorrow, and I'm, um, you know, a whole part of me is going to change. And I'm, I, obviously, my glasses will come back in probably a decade to 20 years when my eyesight becomes such that I need reading glasses. But for a while, I'm not going to wear glasses. Um, and that is... So I think probably today's episode is going to be partly about changing how you see things and perspective and point of view. Because that's what's on my mind. And I've been nervous about it. I think probably proportionally nervous, you know, like just like, oh, I don't much fancy that idea. Um, not panicking about it, not, you know, on my normal scale of anxiety. I'm sort of fine. I'm just it's going to happen. I imagine it's not going to be intrinsically enjoyable. We'll find out. I mean, of course, you know, <laughs> something may go terribly wrong tomorrow, but let's hope it doesn't. He said laughing. But I've been thinking about a lot of stuff to do with looking at it. Today seems it's been a weird day for me. It feels like it feels like I'm coming to the end of one period in my life and letting some things go and saying goodbye to some things and some new things are going to be coming in. And I don't mean this in a sort of well, I do mean it in a mystic way, but I only mean it in a mystic way of like applying my imagination to kind of sort the metaphor of life rather than the cosmos actually moving things. But I also got this big uh, cardboard box load of copies of my next book, uh, The Ice House, which, you know, if you listen to the show, I've been going on about for a while because there is now today one month until it comes out. And by the way, before I forget, there's some live dates coming up there are some live dates coming up and i will tell you about them right now i am doing fingers crossed hopefully i'll announce it now and if it falls through then sorry (laughs) just check their website but hopefully i am going to be doing a launch in norwich uk um, at waterstones on wednesday the 1st of may so that'll be Wednesday, 1st of May, probably either 6pm or 6.30. I'll put details up on my website. I'll put details up on my Facebook page and Twitter and things like that. But um, uh, if you would like, if you live near Norwich or in the East Anglia area and you'd like to come to the uh, launch of the Ice House, there'll be free booze. I'll do a reading and have a little chat about my book. Probably do a Q&A if there's people there. Um yeah so i'll be doing that uh and i would love to have you along if you fancy it so that's the first of may uh waterstones norwich second of may thursday i am again it's not gone up on the website but i'm pretty sure this is happening so unless they suddenly pull out uh thursday second of may um in london at foils I am going to be recording a live episode of this very podcast death of a thousand cuts that is also the launch day of the Ice House. So there will be heaps of first edition hardback copies of the Ice House with their beautiful um, foil covers. I'll be signing those uh, at foils. Um, the covers are foil, but it's at foils. It was, that wasn't a deliberate pun. I would never make something that was you know, barely a pun like that um deliberately it's, it's happened now i've had to flag it up but um in any case i'll be doing a live version of the show um it will be a podcast definitely um and i'm actually looking for some listeners first pages for that uh if you want to send me some it'd be good if it, they don't necessarily have to be people who are going to be at the gig 
but it'd be good if you could if you want to submit for that if you just flag it up with uh the um foils uh launch then uh and, and just post it to me via my the contact me link on the website but i'm going to be doing that live and i will be joined by the author joe duntham which i'm really excited about he's been on the show three times before one doing an interview and two where we've looked at people listeners first pages me and joe go way back really really enjoy hanging out with him love <laughs> i know it's such a nerdy thing but i love workshopping um books with him it takes me right back to to what is like horribly 20 years ago uh when we were at university together um and we get to you know we'll do some stuff live it'll be fun uh will you know involve the audience in workshopping some first pages uh should be a lark when i've done them before live episodes they've been really really fun uh it's been great to get people involved um and we all learn some stuff so if you want to basically do a super compressed exciting workshop and of course throughout pressure um explicit and subtle will be placed upon you to buy copies of my novel the ice house which i will i would gladly sign for you so i hope if you are live in london or nearby it'd be lovely to see you on a thursday the 2nd of may at the moment the uh the gigs i've got coming up are on um tuesday the 14th of may i'm gonna be down in bath for um at Mr. B's Emporium, a wondrous uh, indie bookshop. I'm going to be doing an event there. I would love to see you. I'm going to be doing a reading and chatting about writing and just basically uh, just just having a wonderful time, I think. Like, I mean, I don't mean to be sort of flaky about like what, what it's going to be about, but there'll be some re- talk, reading from the Ice House. I'm talking about like building the fantasy world. And then we'll just, I guess, the reason I'm sort of not pinning myself down too much is because we'll see how it goes. I've, I've, I've sort of flown by the seat of my pants a little bit in, in responding to what the audience want to talk about. I've done, you know, Wilderness Festival and, and, and I did an hour on stage without any notes or really any idea of what I was going to talk about, except that I had the title of Building a Fantasy World and... We just went from there and we ended up creating uh, and pitching a whole novel. Um, and it was really, really, really good fun. So, like, I'm, you know, this isn't my first rodeo. I've done thousands of hours on stage. Uh, so um, that's kind of my prep. But, like, I would love to see you if you want to be there. That's the Tuesday the 14th at, in Bath. Tickets are on their website. There'll be links in the show notes here and on my website. And on the 15th of May the wednesday i'm in bristol i'm going to be recording another live episode of death of a thousand cuts at a wonderful new independent bookshop called story smith and i'm going to be there with a wonderful author and friend of the show gareth l powell um author of the embers of war trilogy and akak Macak, and uh he's got a creative writing manual coming out this year called about writing and he's got a crime thriller called ragged alice coming out this year he's doing a lot um because he's worked very hard and um we'd like to do some first page critiques for that as well so if you go uh, if you just search like story smith bristol um i'll put a link in the show notes as well but you can go on their website and get tickets for that that's you know it's a small venue so I think like in terms of how much space there is for people to actually come, probably if you live in or near Bristol and you'd like to come, I would jump on that sooner rather than later. Uh, But yeah, we're going to be. And again, for that one, if you want to submit through the website, uh, just use my contact me at timclairpert.co.uk. Send me the first 250 words of your i've got this terrible feeling that i said 250 pages in the previous time i mentioned this 250 words of your novel just try to make it as polished as you can do include the title and your name and you know if you want it for the bristol one just mark it bristol and um and we will you know we'll try to get through uh you know two or three 
and have a little chat about writing as well while we're there. So we're going to record a live episode there. It would be lovely to see you again. Both those are part of the Ice House tour, so I'm going to be uh, bringing a, a shed load of copies of my book, and um, I would I would certainly be lovely to see you. Uh, you know, I, I get nervous sometimes with these things that no one's going to turn up, but like actually, normally I just assume people are going to turn up and then they don't, and then I'm like, oh gosh, it would be lovely to see you. I'm going to, you know, put the word out, um, but you know, if you listen to the podcast and you'd like to meet up and say hi um, and get a copy or two of the book, which I'll gladly sign, it will be lovely to see you. And of course, it helps me out really much, really much, loads and uh, really much isn't a phrase, is it? And it um, helps me just shift copies of the book, which allows me to feed my child. And that is what this is all about at the end of the day. So those are the dates I've got for now. I'm looking at some other ones that are kind of, I'm just turning them over and uh there's i mean there's a couple that i've confirmed but because they're part of bigger events whose uh like lineups are still under embargo i can't mention them but i've got some events coming up later in the year we'll see i am for those of you who live in the north of england and even beyond into the uh into the uh, mysterious land of scotland sorry that sounded patronizing it's what the reason I paused? I was because I was going to try and like bring my etymology into it because according to my etymological map right on the wall here, um, the literal name of Scotland is Land of Darkness, which is such an awesome name. Rather than England, which just means fishhook land. Yeah. Land of Darkness is much better, right? But anyway, be lovely to see you. I'm gonna, you know, look at trying to get some stuff um further north. It'd be, I know, people do live there. I'm not being like a dick about it by not coming. It's just the south of England is where I live, and I've got a very young daughter, so that's why I've sort of not been straying too far from home. But you know, I'll do my best to get further afield if people will have me, and if you know events, if you've got ins with organizers like it would be lovely you know by all means i'm happy for you to uh to politely sort of put my name forward for things and i'll see if i can make them it'd be lovely to be able to travel and see people and do some workshops and talk about my book and do some reading and read your stuff and just have a wonderful time that is my events announcement uh Thank you very much for sticking with that. And I'll put some stuff out on social media as well. But that is this month is going to be a bit like a slightly bananas one for me in terms of promoting while trying to live a life and do all this stuff. And that's, you know, that's what being an author is sometimes about. Like a, a lot of the time you're just this shit muncher who, you know, can't can't get arrested. <laughs> um, and and then suddenly it comes to the time before your book coming out and actually you're dropping plates left right and center and everyone wants you to do stuff to help promote your book and also you're trying to make the next one and uh and it's a it's a lot of work and and I, yeah, I've actually done a lot better in the last month with anxiety and stuff like I think meditating has been really really good guys it's like I know you know I know you know, right? I know. We, we know, right? Like, no, it's no great revelation to us that there is now the scientific literature out there, the peer-reviewed studies that shows that insight meditation done regularly and, in fact, uh, the metabhavna, the sort of, like, slightly more hippie-ish sounding one where you wish, like, love and health to strangers, Right? Even that has been, you know, there are studies supporting how it has a positive in influence on some your own mental health. Look, it has worked for me and it has worked pretty drastically well. Uh, but I still have my moments. I still have my moments. I'm not immune to things, but it's been so much better. Um, and so that that's something that you can that's something that you can consider. Look. I'll get on to today's subject, which I said was going to be... I mean, although that is part of today's subject, right? Which is about perspective and seeing things with new eyes. Because I do feel like I'm at the end of something at the moment. 
the beginning of something else. And it's a weird, unsettled time. Um, and I've been, I've been looking at, you know, this book now, you know, I've just got this, I've just got this, this package of books through and, you know, it was four years of writing and now here they are. And the launch is also sort of, in a weird way, it's sort of the end of the book you know it's a beginning but it's also a kind of death because sorry and I don't mean to sound pessimistic I just mean it my involvement in the book my ability to affect it my ability to play in that world is over really you know I I managed to stretch it out until literally a few days ago doing writing the sort of additional material that's going to go in the books from uh, Mr. B's Emporium if they get 100 pre-orders, which they're getting close to now. So I've written that because otherwise I wouldn't have had time to before it goes to print. And then that's it. That is that This book is done, the world is done, and it's kind of sealed and finished. And I think as a writer, you know, writers talk about, oh, I want to be finished, I want to get the next X number of words done, I want to push towards the end, I want to finish this first draft. And we always have this, you know, it's really big to have this kind of like uh, stats-driven, teleological mindset in writing where you're pushing towards like hitting goals and you're pushing towards finishing. And I know that like most writers do that with a certain amount of self-awareness or intermittent mild self-awareness but here's the thing once you finish writing the book you can't play in it anymore it's it's the world is closed off to you you know like it's like the portal closes and your adventure is done you know the adventure only lasts as long as you have problems to fuel it Life is unsatisfactoriness, as they say in Buddhism. I mean, you know, the actual word used in is dukkha or dukkha, depending on whether you're using the Pali or Sanskrit. But it's a word that's been variously translated as suffering and unsatisfactoriness uh, and doesn't quite mean either of those. But to write to be to be writing a book is to be deep in the dukkha it's to be deep in unsatisfactoriness it's to be unfinished while a book is alive and open to you and has a space in which you can play it must be unfinished because that's where the uncertainty comes from and uncertainty generates possibility and possibility is the very substance out of which all creativity grows. What if? What if? Hang on. What if she did this? But what if he thought this? But what if they decided they were going to, do you see, like, an, so any creative act, especially any sustained creative act, like the complete lunacy that is writing a novel, demands of you a huge tolerance for uncertainty. And we know that anxiety correlates inversely with creativity. So the more anxious you are, the less creative you're genuine. Well, let, let's put it in actual terms. The more anxious someone is feeling, generally the worse they score on standardised tests of creativity. But I think, you know, like we can, we can probably draw on a little bit of anecdata 
as well and say that that makes intuitive sense to us. And I don't, you know, I'm always, I think, try to be suspicious of anything that just makes an intuitive sense that feels right and that makes sure that we've actually tested it. But it seems to me that anxiety is very good at focusing the mind. It's very good at motivating us away from something. Generally, uh, it's not particularly good at allowing us to drop into a slightly unfocused mode where we start asking how many options we've got. And in fact, when you meditate, one of the things that I find is it's a little bit like you get to switch bullet time on in, in your life and you widen that gap between stimulus and response. And when something upsets you or something, when you get a stimulus, like, like just someone talking to you and their emotional state is ambiguous, then it's like you slow down your response time and you realise that there's a point where you your brain draws up a little thing where it goes, is this person angry at me? Does this person hate me? And shall I decide that they do without actually knowing and start responding appropriately to that, to the assumption that they hate me? So you bring up that little drop-down men menu of, of options and you realise it's a drop-down menu and actually you've just been clicking so fast with kind of muscle memory, click, click through that you never realize that there were other things on there and you go i wonder what would happen if i assumed that they really like me i wonder what would happen then i wonder what if i just didn't click any of these options and just proceeded on the basis that i cannot be sure that's creativity right that's one of the things that meditation opens up is this sense of i'm reading a really i'm reading a really great book by um, Dr. Uh, Richard Wiseman. Uh, you may have heard of him. He did loads of stuff. I mean, he's a really big player in the sort of like British sceptic uh, movement. Um, and uh, he's, sorry, Professor Richard Wiseman. Um, he's written books like uh, 59 Seconds, which is all about sort of tiny little psychological hacks based on research uh, that uh, you can do to be better in certain situations he wrote a really great one called night school about sleep research and all the what the latest research suggests the best thing to do is to get a good night's sleep and he read wrote one called the luck factor um where he talks about way people who see themselves as lucky and unlucky and the unconscious things and the um explanatory styles psychological explanatory styles that shape how they perceive what happens to them and how they exploit or don't exploit luck. And one of the things he talks about in the book is that um, the luckiest people that he speaks to in his research uh, tend to be like med meditators or do something similar to meditation, some kind of visualisation exercise or something like that, um, that seems to boost their intuition, that seems to allow their subconscious mind or whatever to... Uh, process lots of information that's sort of tickling at the edges of perception and that manifests as a hunch even though it's actually based on they're often experts in in you know whatever field be it kind of like uh, aeronautic uh, safety or something like that they've been working in it for years been looking at planes for 20 years and then they start to be able to get hunches about what might be wrong with an aircraft. And actually it's because they've been working and working and working and now they can pick up on these things that maybe they don't notice with their conscious mind. And I find it really, really interesting. And I feel like as writers, there's a certain level of luck we can bring to our writing. I feel like a lot of the stuff in there is actually probably very relevant to, to us as writers. Because, guess what? People who are more lucky in the studies rate low on neurosis. So basically, they're less anxious. The less anxious you are, the more lucky you are likely to be. Because you're likely to be in, I guess, like the brain's default mode network state where you're in that ability to just sort of sit in this slightly sometimes inward looking so you're processing information but you're able to sort of relax into this you're not looking for anything you're not casting around for threats and because you're not casting around for threats when you're walking down the street uh 
Um, you're more likely to notice the £10 note that's been left on the pavement in front of you. In fact, he did an experiment where they left £10 notes on the pavement to see if their participants who were lucky or unlucky um, were more likely to pick it up. Because if you're looking around for threats, like, is that person over there going to mug me? Am I going to be hit by a car? You're not looking... You're not just taking in the scenery and you go, oh, there's £10 here. Really, really interesting, right? I think it the same is true for, like, coming up with inspiration for your books. If you are constantly focused on getting somewhere or if you are constantly looking at your phone and you don't cast this kind of, like, open, wide, relaxed net, then it's very difficult for inspiration to strike. It's very difficult to have those lucky coincidences. It's very di difficult to have a to allow this beautiful thing confirmation bias to actually sort of sort through the great morass of life and pull out these little synchronicities not because the universe is helping you out and nudging you on your way but because there's loads of stuff everywhere there's so much information there's information everywhere and if instead of focusing on one thing that we think we need to be searching for we just remain open and receptive. Sooner or later, something relevant, something helpful, something unexpected is just going to boink and hit us on the head. And, and it will feel like luck. It will feel like this stroke of like universe synchronicity. But it was it was bound to happen sooner or later, um, especially if you're open to it. You know, like you found like lucky people uh, start conversations with people in queues more often. Now, you may thinking lucky people sound really annoying maybe like they generally seem quite friendly people interestingly they didn't score higher high on agreeability though so they weren't agree uh, they weren't uh, on agreeableness i think actually is the state so they weren't people who bent over backwards to please people especially or changed who they were presented themselves as sort of like a, you know tried to sort of suck up to people but they were genuinely interested in other people and that helped them form l a wide network of contacts which which allowed these kind of chance meetings and somebody to be able to say oh my friend might be able to help with that so on and so on anyway i'm not talking about luck so much in this episode as this idea that when you change what you what you're looking for it can it can really change your world around you i really think it can i think that's one of the amazing things about being a writer when i started writing the honors and it was going to be set in the 1930s and it was set on a country estate. Now, I had no interest in the 1930s or country estates or anything to do with that. I wasn't in, I don't, none of those things. I'm not, not interested in guns either, which Delphine in the book is obsessed by. But I had to start sort of being receptive to these things I wouldn't normally be receptive to because they were relevant to the book. They were going to help me out. And so I started thinking oh I'm going to take this walk through this bit of countryside and I'm going to have a look around me to see what's going on you know to see if there's anything that will be useful for my book and you start noticing plants you start noticing animals you start becoming interested in going oh, I wonder what kind of tree that is I wonder oh look there's some fungus growing on that tree I realize as even as I say this might sound deeply boring it probably is and it might just be me sliding towards middle age right but suddenly I was going on and appreciating country walks in a way that I never have before because at some point I just started to enjoy it and I was starting to notice these things and then I was being drawn towards them, you know? I think it was... It's so weird, but, like, I was afraid of dogs since I was seven and had been sort of chased by a big dog. I was terrified of dogs, really. But when I met my wife, she loves dogs. And I love her. And it would start to be after we'd been going out for a few months that I'd be walking down the street and I'd see a dog. And like I used to be so scared of dogs, I'd like cross over the road from them. But I'd see a dog and I'd think, oh, oh what a, Lisa would love that dog. What a cute dog. Oh, what a, what a beautiful, lovely dog. And I think like, oh, Lisa loves that dog would love that dog i must tell her about it and then after a while you know i'd see a lovely dog 
I'd think, oh, Lisa would love that dog. I'd think about how happy it would make this person that I, I love to the bottom of my heart. And that would make me feel happy, thinking of her happy reaction. And it, and it started to get this Pavlovian thing where I'd see dogs and feel happy. And quickly, I wasn't scared of dogs anymore because I associated them with thinking about my wife being happy. And that made me happy and it overrode the feelings of anxiety completely by accident. I got this cure to my... Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not... Um, I'm not super confident with dogs. I, I'm not the kind of per one of those people who just like barrels in uh, seeing a dog they've never met before, like puts it in a headlock, goes, oh, a lovely boy, and starts like giving it a Dutch rub. Um, but I will like bend down and stroke dogs now if the owner invites me to. I don't feel scared of them anymore. And that's really nice place to be. And what I'm saying is like, if you embrace the like research side of your whatever story you're writing, even if it's like science fiction and fantasy, I think like those are the ones that need the most research, if anything. But if you like take this kind of almost like method acting approach to your writing, then the process of writing the book will change you. It will change the way you see the world. I don't know if you've ever been to a movie. And I mean, that's not the end of the question, by the way, in case you were thinking I'm being unbelievably condescending. I know you've been to a, see a film, but I don't know if you've ever been to the cinema and the movie ends and you walk out and there's that weird feeling of stepping out into the daylight and because the movie's so immersive there's this there's this sort of not hangover period but there's this like afterglow where the world feels different where you perceive the world slightly differently i think writing a book if you give yourself to it can have that effect on how you perceive the world i think it can shift your comprehension of the world around you if you let it and, and not necessarily in a like full like psychedelic uh like your brain sort of like bursting out of your skull and uh spreading itself like gray custard uh across the across the across the sunset i mean by becoming interested in the things your protagonist is interested in by allowing yourself to be absorbed into the world of the book in a way that you're looking for you're kind of looking to harvest stuff for it I think that just naturally, and it's quite scary really, but it naturally starts to change who you are as a person because it will shift your attention. And there are so many different worlds sort of laid on top of each other that we live in. I don't mean in a weird way. I, because I've talked about mental health in here, whenever I say something metaphorically, I always worry that people think i'm like that i get so get a certain point into the, one of these rambles and then i'm like going oh well let me tell you let me tell you about the troll people who live in the 24th of those dimensions i know like i i know not really although maybe there is some kind of sort of physics thing where there's lots of different dimensions piled on top of one another but and and don't email me about the many worlds hypothesis i i know of it um but what i'm saying is there's so many different ways of if you just like look around the space you're in now and filter for only look for yellow things only look for things that are colored yellow or kind of gold and now start filtering for triangular things looking for triangles Right, so like you do a couple of those things. Like red's a good one because like you see you start spotting red everywhere. But like you can see how just by like making a decision to like filter for one thing, you am what you notice in your 
in your immediate surroundings and what you don't notice really shift and like often there's key things in our living environments that we're looking for and and it's really good creative writing exercise right to like start imagining the room that you are in or the place you're in or your walk to work from a completely different perspective from a character whose concerns are utterly different to yours maybe they are a you know maybe they're a a burglar and they are casing joints as i believe the criminal lingo has it um and so you're now you're walking along a row of houses looking at approaches are there any windows open is there a way around the back you know what are is the public line of sight to these places that's one way you could start going through things maybe you know you are a an alien looking for another human body to possess and you can walk down the street and you are analyzing the people around you based on suitability to be a vessel for you to explore you know humankind's behavior i I think those things are really interesting i know they're weird they of course they're weird but suddenly you start looking at everyone around you and the world around you in very different ways you know like you start i've definitely got bored in lectures and start like or and started staring out the window and looking at the buildings across and imagining okay like if i was a ninja how would I be able to, like, how would I manage to cross the roofs of all these buildings without touching the ground? And you just create yourself a little narrative that allows you to explore a side of the world you wouldn't normally notice. And I think that is how really embracing a point of view in a character, really embracing ways of seeing, new ways of seeing. I mean, like, the, 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 like a great example of this Uh, in terms of, I think it's like one of the best science fiction concepts of the last 10 years, is China Mieville's The City and the City, in which there's two cities kind of basically superimposed upon one another. And there's there's sections of city where they're cross-hatched, where the two cities are actually on top of one another. And when you're in one of the cities you have to learn to blank out and not notice all the stuff that's in the other city and all the people that are in the other city. And there's like various cultural markers and stuff that would let you know that. And then if you go through a sort of government-appointed border, you are then in the other city and you can switch over and see the other city and not the original one. You know, it's a mind-boggling concept. I'm not sure 100% how much I enjoyed the book but i thought the premise was amazing uh and and very true of like how humans are like unfortunately really good at say filtering out homeless people who are sitting in the street you know blank like consciously making effort to blank them out and not notice them Uh, not everyone does that but many people do i know i've done it right i'm not not proud of it but i know i've done that i found ways of people i don't want to see i i I sort of find ways of partly blocking them out from my perception uh it's it's really it's really interesting you know it's like there's you know there's class ways that people do that serving staff people do that with find ways of not noticing them making them shrink into the background and we do that with all sorts of things in our life and I think that's something that's really, really, really fun to play with in your writing. It's something that's really, really interesting to play with from a character's perspective. What do they notice? And what are they just kind of oblivious to? You know, because it's interesting to me, you know, going on on a plane flight, for example. When I've fl- flown on a plane, I'm moderately nervous about a plane flight like I don't a hundred it's never stopped me going on one but I feel a bit anxious when it's taking off and when it's landing and if there's turbulence right like it's unpleasant for me 
But it's fascinating to me how many human beings are completely capable of just being on a plane and being they do it. They fly so often that they're completely indifferent to the fact that suddenly they're in this metal cylinder that lurches into the air, bursts through a bank of clouds, and then they are floating above this ocean of clouds higher than, you know, 100 years ago, any human being had ever, ever been. And we're just kind of indifferent to it now. You know, like that we can go and... We can go for a poo in the sky and, and feel bored. We can do a poo in the sky and feel, oh, this is a bit inconvenient. Oh, I feel a bit sweaty. I'm locked in this tiny aircraft toilet i'm bored we can look out the window and see those clouds and not feel anything and that can tell you so much about a world and a character what they're indifferent to you know i'm really i'm really interested in playing with that i've been working on a a novel about um like necromancy uh and it's not called that in the book because i've got some issues with that as a as a piece of uh etymology to describe people who raise corpses because necromancy traditionally though the mancy part is, is sort of seeing or communication necro the dead so technically from a strict etymological point of view necromancers simply commune with the dead like the witch of endor in the bible they don't bring corpses back to life so i think my term that i after consulting with a couple of people i think the term i'm going to use is a is a mortifex but um in that book there are lots of people who are lots of corpses who are brought back to life and who just do like mundane do mundane act do do mundane kind of grunt work and nobody really notices them except when they kind of run wild and so just having, you don't need to say corpses, you know, zombies uh, or sort of the walking dead or resurrected human beings uh, were used as cheap labour. You don't, and nobody batters an eyelid. You just show people not reacting when their rickshaw is pulled by a, a dead person. And that tells you so much about the world. And you're like, oh, shit, they're, they're not bothered about this. So then, And then the text doesn't need to step in and go, and they weren't bothered about this because it was an everyday sight. You know, you know from the, the lack of reaction. You know something about that character and something about this world and what cultural expectations are. And I think that's so fun to play with. I, it, stuff that your character doesn't notice. And it can happen in sort of real world fiction as well. I remember being on the phone. Somebody was trying to book me for a gig. This very posh woman who was an actor had mainly been in. She'd just finished like shooting a toothpaste commercial. And she wanted me to put me as a poet for a gig. And I knew it was going to be hard work from, you know, she phoned me like every day going, I've got this idea for the for the gig. You know, they weren't they were paying me peanuts for it. But she was re like a real lovey. There's a point where I was on the phone with her. And then I heard I heard like some a child's voice behind her. And I heard her just say, oh, don't do that, darling. And then there was a thud and then a bang, 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 bang. And then uh, and then the beginning of like a child crying. And I said, what's that? And she said, Oh, nothing. My son's just fallen down the stairs. And then, and then she just went back to talking about having filmed this toothpaste commercial in Morocco. And I thought, wow, why aren't you... Why aren't you reacting? <laughs> why is this more important? And that taught, taught... That, I felt, taught me so much about her character. The fact that that could happen in the background... And not excite even a moment's concern. I And so that's what I'm... What characters see and how... So writing can change your vision. 
But what your characters notice and what they don't notice is such a fun way for you to... You know, the, the elephant in the room. Sometimes the elephant in the room is like this thing that people are trying not to mention, right? But it's it it's looming over everything and it sort of bleeds into the conversation in awkward ways. I'm always so grateful for people who sort of rush the machine gun nest and break the silence and say hello and, you know, just don't do that awkward thing of pretending something isn't happening. But you can have in fiction so, so, so much fun and create so many effects. Tension, anxiety, humour, great humour from... Or just sadness from stuff not being mentioned, from stuff being danced around. And then huge power when a character points something out. When you have a character who is prepared to say what they see and speak about these things it can really 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 mess a scene up in an exciting and interesting way anyway i think that's about it from me today i think that's i'm just about like running out of juice on that one um but those are my thoughts and i just really encourage you i don't want to start like sort of uh, sort of retooling myself as some kind of psych guru i'm not like i'm not a good person to take huge amounts of psychological advice from but I really do think I've just I'll tell you why it is because today as I've been walking around I've been looking at the world as if for the first time because I'm like oh this is the last time I'll be seeing the world through glasses which is the only way I've seen the world you know I've never seen the inside of a swimming pool that wasn't this just this blurry wash my my eyesight is appalling like I cannot I couldn't get across the road without glasses. I honestly couldn't get across the road. Uh, well, I might get across the road. I might also be hit by a car because I wouldn't be able to see it coming. And I'm going to be able to go swim. I'm going to be able to go to the beach. And when I go swimming in the sea, I'll be able to see the sea for the first time ever. Like, we went swimming on my birthday and a seal, like, emerged next to me. Like broke the surface next to me and I couldn't see it <laughs> right so like and I'll be able to see stuff like that I'll be able to go swimming with my daughter if it works of course if it's not the operation isn't horribly botched but I'll I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be able to see the ceiling that's never happened to me before <laughs> do you know what I mean and just in the time I've got left, I'm looking at the world through these lenses before I put them down forever. And everything looks more colourful. Everything you start noticing about how parallax scrolling works, how you can move your head and stuff in the distance, move slower than stuff close up. It's just like a cool effect that we've got all around us all the time. Stuff is really interesting to look at. I'm not on drugs. But what I'm saying is, being a writer is kind of like free drugs. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Have a lovely week.